my team, yeah, we off the leash. You can look us in the eyes, see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up, cause with everything we draw, we can score it when we wanna. Welcome to Podscooby. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Mike, we got a fun show this week, so let's jump right into it. No Ty Cats news to get into. The team has not yet begun preparations for their week two game against Toronto, as they will get back onto the practice field on Tuesday, four days of practice this week instead of the regular three. But I guess that's probably because of the the long layoff between games. They play on Friday, don't play again until Sunday. But we still wanted to talk about the team. So we're going to take kind of a larger view of the Ty Cats as we sit here today. I know it's a little early for something like this, but we had some preseason assumptions about the team. And now that we've seen them actually play a regular season game, it felt like a good time to see if we kind of still hold those beliefs. So, I mean, had the Ticats won on Friday, would we be doing this? Probably not. But we saw a bit of an uninspired performance from the team, especially in this in the first half against Winnipeg. Maybe our confidence is a little shaken. So let's call this a confidence check with the Ticats right now, Mike. We covered the game in its entirety on the latest We're Live Pal post-game show. So if you want our immediate thoughts on what went down on Friday, you can find them there. It's posted on the podcast feed. But it's Monday now as we record. We've had the chance to watch the other Week 1 games, kind of sit back on the weekend and, and consume everything, maybe think about some other stuff, see how the other teams are playing, of course, as well. So, Mike, after the weekend, given a chance to think about this, given a chance to think about the performance on Friday, kind of what you saw from the other teams this week, are you still as bullish on the Thai Cats as you were a week ago when we did our season preview show and you had them going, I believe it was 12 and six and, and winning the gray cup or is it has this past weekend kind of notched that uh, anticipation that uh, that belief in this team that they're going to go places has that, has that been tampered down a little bit after what you saw on Friday? I don't think it's been tampered down a bit. It's, it's one game. It's the first game of the season. We had a lot of new players in the offense and the defense for that matter. Uh, they they didn't look as good as I wanted them to. Uh, there's no question about that. It was very disappointing, the performance on offense in the first half. Bo looked off. You know, there was no chemistry with the receivers, it seemed. I thought the offensive line looked pretty good. On the defensive side of the ball, you know, we didn't get that pressure from the defensive line that we've been wanted, you know, that we expected all offseason with all the guys we brought in. But that being said... You know, there was injuries along that D-line as well. So I just think that this is the first game and it's not time to panic yet. And uh, we're going to see a better performance next week against the Argonauts. What did I say on the post-game show, Mike? Do you remember what I said? You kind of called me out for it from stealing from another TV show. What did I say? Ten what did toes down. down. There we go. There it is. Look, yes. No team played a perfect game in week one. Winnipeg and BC probably looked the best, but both of those teams really just played flawlessly in the first half and then looked a little bit sluggish in the second half. Calgary looked really bad. Edmonton and Saskatchewan looked really bad. And the other two East teams that played this past week, Ottawa and Montreal, also looked pretty bad. They looked a little silly, didn't they? A silly team. 
it did look like a, they did look they were a silly team. That's a good way of putting it, buddy. <laughs> I'm not concerned in the least, honestly. The mistakes the Tie Cats made, and we talked about this on the post game show, so we won't go into dip too in depth on it. They're correctable ones. And I said before the season, before even the start of the year, that I thought that this team might struggle early, possibly start something like one and three or two and two, but that by Labor Day, they'd be clicking on all cylinders. And I still believe that Bo looked bad. He looked out of sync. The offense itself looked out of sync. Hit the connection with the receivers wasn't there. They turned the ball over way too many damn times, but all that stuff can be corrected. All that stuff can be fixed. This is this was always going to be a tough road. The first two games against the Grey Cup finals from last year and the Grey Cup champion from last year was always going to be hard, especially going into Winnipeg, where Winnipeg had retained the vast majority of their roster. I think they had something like 23 or 22 of 24 offensive and defensive starters from the Grey Cup last year come back this year. Almost unheard of continuity. I know the Ticats did that. The, the 21 team had a lot of the same sort of roster continuity, and they also got back to the Grey Cup that year. So this was always going to be a tough game to win. These guys gelling in a regular season setting was always going to take some time. I am not worried one bit that this team, even if they get off to a sluggish start, like I saw some comments on social media. It's one game. It's really just one game, and I think people are freaking out way too much over a team that's that's a lot of new players. This was go- this should have been expected. I think they put up a bigger fight when they did in the second half, made this more of a game than I thought that they deserved in a lot of ways, and that I thought they would have in, in a lot of ways. I thought they would keep it close, obviously, but this outcome didn't surprise me, and I just don't think there's really anything to get too worried about right now. If we are back here in a month and they're winless and this is all still an issue, well, then we'll be having a much different conversation. But as we sit here today, I'm not worried in the least. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see the next, you know, three, four, five games if this D-line starts to get pressure, if Bo starts to mesh with his receivers. You know, if we go back to the defensive side of the ball, if the D-line doesn't live up to their expectations this year, we're screwed. Like, we have a... Okay, our secondary, it's a little bit inexperienced and everything, but we're counting on that defensive line to get pressure to help these guys out. And if that's not the case this year, we're in big, big trouble. So I'm going to be looking at that. I know that I always focus on the offensive line, but I'm going to really take a look at this defensive line the next couple of games because they're going to have to step it up big time. No, and that's absolutely fair. This team sunk a lot of resources into building up that defensive line and we didn't see really any of that paid dividends. Now, like you said earlier, there has been some injuries. It's not a completed unit. Dylan Winslow, out. Kweku Boateng didn't play. So there's still some reinforcements to come back into the lineup. But they still started a pretty impressive front four in Casey Sales, Muhammad Diallo in the middle, and Jagarrett Davis and Malik Carney on the end. Like That's still a pretty formidable unit with Ted Laurent making maybe the biggest defensive play with the big strip sack as Zach Caleros that Chris Edwards then took back for a touchdown. But you're right. The defensive line is has got to be the linchpin of this team. And if the defensive line plays better, Zach doesn't have the chance to take those deep shots and have Kenneth George Jr. fall down or or have Nick Nick Dembski run free against Tunde Delicate. Like the defensive line didn't do its job in the game on uh, on Friday, but it's that kind of nicely dovetails into into what I was going to ask you next. And I guess we kind of have your answer. Are there any areas that you were concerned about that you aren't now? And conversely. The flip side of that, are there any areas that you weren't concerned about now that is concerning to you? Is is it that defensive line that, that kind of worries you right now? 
Yeah, right now it's the, it's the D line. I just think that you know all the additions we made in the off season, uh, it has to be better. And, and obviously, we don't have all our pieces, so I'm not going to jump on all over them right now. But but there needs to be improvement for this team to be competitive. Yeah, see, I was a little disappointed in the offensive line to kind of steal your thunder there. Mm. See, well, it's it's again, I think with this team from from where we stand now. It's because it's a tale of two halves from last game, but the offensive line I didn't think was great. Seeing Joel Figueroa get bullied on that last play to give up the game ceiling yeah. sack was really disappointing. Like he was brought in for the express purpose of that not to happen. And I know he might've played a flawless game the rest of the way, but in the biggest moment, you have to make that play. He has to make that block to give Bo a chance to, to make the deep throw to keep them in the game. They probably, I mean, I won't say probably they, don't win the game even if that's they were down by by double digits maybe they make it close but they weren't going to win that game regardless of that happening but still in that situation Figueroa's got to be better giving up three sacks isn't great either but I mean given what we and this is sort of the opposite side of the coin here given what we saw with protection from other teams mostly Montreal Edmonton a little bit but mostly Montreal three sacks against the Bombers doesn't look so bad when Montreal's given up six to the uh to the Red Blacks so the run game, I think, was also fairly effective, at least by Ticat standards. So, again, with a lot of this team, as the little disappointments that I have here, there is still some stuff to work with here. And it, it's it's not a full-blown concern until we see these things become kind of entrenched with the team going forward after a few more games. Like I said, well, maybe we come back to this in a month and discuss how we feel, given that if, at that time they've, they've probably notched a win or two. And like I said... These the little things in this game the, with this team that we saw now after one game, small concerns, but I think the overall picture still looks still looks pretty bright. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. I'm not, uh, you know, the the Ticats doom meter is not full yet, so I, I I'm, I'm with you. I am uh, excited still about this team, and uh, like you said, we faced very, very tough competition in the first week, and it's not necessarily going to get easier in the next week so these two games are our big test for us we failed the first one but let's see if we can bounce back in the next one i'm curious to get your thoughts on the secondary because obviously we what we saw in the first half was it's um that's a, that was an unplayable secondary you can't allow that to happen a, a, any any time again going forward but again like the rest of the team i thought that they I, claros had like 270 something yards at the end of the first half three touchdowns in the first quarter and that was limited pretty effectively in the passing game the rest of the way. Like I, he, he finished with 350 something yards, but like I said, a vast majority of those came in the first half. So clearly the secondary picked up its play in the second half. Yep. I'm curious to see what the team does with Kenneth George jr. This week practice, like I said, starts on Tuesday. I, I'm curious. We know that Orlando Steinher doesn't really have an itchy trigger trigger finger, but we saw him. If you watch the game, you weren't at the game. He was pretty fiery in a, in a halftime a conversation he had with John Lou. He he said, and this is mm-hmm. a direct quote, he was flat out terrible. You don't hear him say that stuff. He said that you know we, the team will be better in the second half, and they were, to his credit. But George had about as bad as a first half as a player could have in their debut. I'm just curious if maybe they not because it's it's necessary because he and. It's not George's fault that those things happens. And on a couple of the plays that he got burned, he literally fell and that could happen to anyone. It just happened to be him twice on two big plays. But I am interested if they, they maybe make a change there this week and it'll be something that uh, that we'll have to look into as the week goes on. But 
They played better in the second half, so maybe it's just a one-off. Maybe it's something they can build off of. How do you feel about the secondary? Do you think that changes could be made, or do you think they'll ride it out for at least another week? I think they're going to ride it out for at least another week or two, see how George responds to a <clears throat> to a rough game the week before. And it'd be interesting to see uh, what you report when you're at practice this week to see if they're making Get any changes at that cornerback position, right? Because you'll have you'll have the the info. So right. uh, I uh, I was a little disappointed, like you, with the secondary. They got torched, absolutely torched in that first half, but they did improve in the second half and, and you know brought the Bombers' offense back down to earth. So hopefully they continue improving. You know, maybe in the second game we'll see what, what we saw in the second half in this game. Anything else about this team, positive, negative, that you want to discuss? Is there something maybe we forgot to touch on or didn't go in depth with, with on the post game show, or is there is there just anything about the Tie Cats that you want to get off your chest before we move on? No, I I was really impressed with Lawrence Woods in the return game, but I believe we touched on that in the post game show. It was a little bit surprising to see him back there, given that he's a full time cornerback now. Um, but if he's going to do double duties and he, he can be effective, which he was on Friday night, uh, I'm happy with it. All right, well, let's move on to some CFL stuff. I'm not sure if you saw the interview, but Matt Dunnigan, CFL legend, Hall of Famer, multi-time Grey Cup champion, all that good stuff, works for TSN now. He said in an interview that his only career regret was not playing for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. This kind of got me thinking. There have been many great CFL players who have played in the league, and just a fraction of them have ever wore black and gold. So kind of in the absence of a ton of news because there's not really any, uh like tie cats news especially i thought it would be kind of fun to talk about some of the all-time greats that never played for the tie cats that you kind of wish did so mike and i came up with a list of three players each i don't know how many started on your list mike i had i had a couple dozen on mine who are the who are some of the all-time great players that never played for hamilton that you would have loved to have seen wearing that tie catch jersey well the number one pick for me is doug flutie this guy you know watch watching him play as a younger gentleman uh i always admired you know what he could do on a cfl field but i also hated him as well because he played for the argonauts 96 97 played for the stamps before that um just dominated the league like no other player has done uh so doug flutie would be my number one pick you know i guess back in the day there was rumors that the flutie brothers were going to reunite i think it was it was probably Marty York that said it back in the day. He was always starting rumors. But I remember when he was with the Chargers, there was rumors that he was going to come back to Hamilton and the Foodie Brothers were going to reunite. And, and obviously that never happened. So I, I was uh, I was living in Toronto at the time. Short little story here. And mm-hmm. my dad called me. This was before. I mean, cell phones existed, but I didn't have one. My parents had my dad called me. He's like, I just heard on the radio that there's a rumor that Doug and Darren Flutie might come to Hamilton. And I think you're right. I think he was, he, he was playing for the chargers. I think he had either just left San Diego and it was it, Flutie was much yeah. older. He was in his like mid forties, early forties at the time. I think it was like that, you know, 2003, four five time. Uh, and he said, yeah, there's, I was just listening on to whether it was CHML or whatever it was listening on the radio said, yeah, the Flutie might, uh, Doug Flutie might sign and Darren Flutie might come back. Cause at that time, Darren Flutie had retired as well. Might come, might come play for the cats for one season. And I'm thinking, Oh, that would be, I mean, Flutie, even at that advanced age, I thought could still dominate up here. Cause he left in his late thirties and was still the best player in the league by a wide margin. And then there was like a beat in the conversation. My dad's like, well, if he signs, we got to go buy jerseys. So the next time <laughs> he come down, we got to go buy jerseys. So I'm, you know, 
penny pension, saving up my money, thinking Doug Flutie, and it just never came to fruition. And I just remember it was, I didn't have a ton of CFL fan friends when I was in, in Toronto and university. I had a few and we would talk about it. And one, obviously living in Toronto, they're mostly Argos fans, but one guy that was a pretty, pretty diehard CFL guy at season tickets to the Argos was like, man, if Flutie goes, what a traitor. And then we would get into like the back and forth of, uh, well, who's gone here and who's gone there. And it was just, it was, that would have been a really fun time. Even if just for one season, it would have been nice to see him mm-hmm. don the black and gold. Anyways, yeah. I, it would have been big time headlines in Hamilton and in Canada for that matter. Yeah. If he uh, come, if he that, coming back to the league would have been a big deal. Yeah. And playing with his brother again would be, uh, yeah. you know, icing on the cake. Uh, my next pick is Alan Pitts. Uh, you know, the, you can make the argument that he's not the greatest receiver of all time anymore in the CFL. Uh, you know, G. Roy Simon's up there, Milt Stiegel's up there. But for me growing up, Alan Pitts was the GOAT in the CFL for a receiver. So I would, I always loved that guy watching him play. I would have loved to see him in the Ticat black and gold. Yeah, can't find fault with either of those first two picks, man. Alan Pitts, I mean, and Flutie to Pitts was a, was a deadly combination in the mid-90s there. I'm, yeah. sensing, the, I'm sensing the theme with your picks, and it's funny because that theme's going to carry over into mine. A lot of our formative years of fandom with these guys. So mm-hmm. it's it's kind of the era. I know a lot of people, because of the financial issues with the league, talked down on that like U.S. expansion era, you know, mid-90s to late-90s CFL. But that's the era that you and I came up with, or came up in, I should say. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think that I'm not surprised to see t- your first two picks come from that era of the league. And now my next pick comes from this recent era. It's Stanley Bryant. I mean, oh. one of the best offensive linemen of all, of all time. time. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think you can say that now. I mean, he's won what three or two four. or three. He's won four of the last four? five. Most of, he's won. Yeah, he's the only guy to ever won four, and he's won four of the okay. last five. And and the okay. year he lost was when he lost. He lost to Chris Van Zyl by two votes. Wow. Okay. So yeah, he's basically the best left tackle ever in the CFL. So yeah. Yeah. Um, to have him on the line. It would be tremendous to have him locked up for many, many years. We had problems with with that position for for quite a while here, leading up to this season. So to have him locked in to, on this team would have been great. Yeah, that would have solved a lot of problems for this team in the Ken Austin era. Would have not if they would have plucked him from Calgary, because you know Calgary does that where they let these guys go, and more often than not, they're right. They were really, really wrong on Stanley Bryan. I'm betting they wish they still had him. They might have a Great cup ring or two more if they would have kept him around. But mm-hmm. uh, those are three. I, look, like I said, with the first two, I'll, I'll add it with Brian. I can't find fault with any of those picks. Those weren't my three. Alan Pitts and uh, actually all three were kind of on my short list. And I won't say I had, like I said earlier, around 25 or so guys that I had down on my initial list to like to trim this down to three, whittle it down. to three. It was really hard. But uh, those three guys were definitely on there. But the first name I wrote down was Gizmo Williams. Gizmo Williams was special. Like I know the Ticats had Earl Winfield returning at the time as well. And Hamilton's had a a great history of return guys. But when I think of the greatest return man, maybe in the history of professional football, not just the CFL Gizmo's at the top of that list. I would have just loved to have seen him returning punts and kicks for the Ticats back in the day. The next guy I had was Willie Pless, uh, what is Hamilton known for? It's known for its defense, known for its linebackers, all go back in the history of this team from before we were born and it's linebackers, linebackers, linebackers. Willie Pless was, he was to linebackers in, in the eighties and nineties, what Stanley Bryant is to linemen now. 
I think he won four or five most outstanding defensive player awards. I think he was nominated for it like eight times or something like just a phenomenal career. I believe, I believe he's the all time leader in tackles in CFL history. Just those two guys, this is probably those two guys being as good as they were during my formative years, like the earlier nineties might be why I still kind of have a soft spot for Edmonton. I don't cheer for any other teams in the CFL. I know that there's fans out there that have multiple teams and, and, you know, they have merchandise from multiple teams. I've, I've never been that guy. It's a nine-team league. I kind of stick with the team that I grew up with. But I've always kind of had a soft spot for Edmonton, maybe because it's kind of a similar city to Hamilton. I don't know. There's, I've always felt a kinship with Edmonton, but maybe it's also because of, of guys like Gizmo and Willie Plus playing there. So those two guys, when I initially sat down to do my list, they were locked in. Like, those two guys were going to be on there regardless of anything else. They come from that era, like I said, with your guys first started really getting into football and just love watching them play every week. The last one, I had a ton of names here that I considered eventually trimmed that list down to about eight or so guys ultimately went with someone that I thought you were actually going to choose Mike Pringle. Mike Pringle might be the greatest running back to ever play in this league. I know that there's, you know, George Reed and guys like that, but Mike Pringle was as dominant a running back in the CFL as I had ever seen. For this third spot, I'll, I'll be honest, I gave some consideration to guys like Solomon Elamimian, who I would have loved from this current era. Alfred Payton was a guy I thought of. Like, Could you have imagined what an Alfred Payton-Joe Monford duo on the ends would have produced for the Ticats? My <laughs> lord, that would have been something else. Yeah, that, that whistle says it all, fans. That whistle says it all. But I went with Pringle because I think you swap out Ronald Williams for Mike Pringle. And honestly, I think that Ticats team, that Danny McManus, Ron Lancaster Ticats team, I think they would have won more than one great cup. I think as good as Ronald Williams was, I just think because he, he got cut midway through a season because he disagreed with Lancaster. Like there was, there was some attitudinal problems there. I know Mike Pringle could be a, a prickly fella and wasn't exactly love, but he played for Don Matthews for a number of years. And I, that, that worked out pretty well for him. I just think that if you, if you just do a one for one swap and put Pringle in that offense with Danny Mack and Darren Flutie and Mike Morreale and Archie Amerson and, all those guys with that offensive line that never gave up sacks with a quarterback who threw the ball in a, a blink of an eye. I, I, I don't think maybe we're talking about a 19, 18 year gray cup drought. I don't think we're talking about a 20. Like I think they would have won two, maybe three gray cups. If Mike Pringle would have been in that offense with, with those, with those weapons there would have been something to watch for sure. Well, you're talking about Mike Pringle, a guy who was in an offense with Anthony Calvillo and the offense revolved around Mike Pringle. Yeah. Like early on <clears throat> when he had that 2000 yard rushing year, the, the offense revolved around him. It wasn't Anthony Calvio. It was Mike Pringle. He pounded the rock, you know, more than not when the, when the Montreal Alouettes had the ball. So he was a special, special player, just an absolute horse out there. I mean, he, he ne- didn't necessarily have like uh, top a, end a, speed. Would, would you say, would you say he was a stallion? Absolutely, absolutely <laughs> a stallion. He would, he, I, the way that he ran over people and just, he was just such a dominant running back in that way. And like I was going to say, it's, he didn't have that breakaway speed necessarily, but he didn't need it. I mean, the guy had 2,000 yards rushing in the CFL in a season. And that's just unheard of. Well, you said Anthony Calvillo, the quarterback he played before Calvillo was Tracy Ham, a Hall of Fame quarterback in his own right. So, despite the fact that he played with guys who could sling it. And we saw with Calvillo after Pringle goes to Edmonton and then ultimately retires, obviously Calvillo's posting 
5,000 yard seasons winning MOPs and great cup. But like he had all that talent when he was younger and when he was older, he was doing it, but he had Mike Pringle there. So they just were like, let's lean on this horse. Like you said, and let him go to work. And, and he put in the work, in my opinion, the greatest running back in CFL history, uh, yeah. at, at least at, at the bare minimum, the greatest running back that I ever saw play, I think is because it, when we get into these like greatest of all time debates and this, we're kind of going down a rabbit hole here, but I, I think it's worth talking about. I, I don't like them a lot because it's like, we're talking from 2023. I've been watching the CFL now. I'd, I'd say consistently knowing what I'm looking at for probably 30 years. There are so many great players that played before that I never, never got a chance to see play. And it's the same in any sport. Right. We, we talk about but, guys. But what do you like, say? anything before 2010, they were basically subhuman. Like they weren't <laughs> real people. They didn't. It doesn't we, count. We, we were around before 2010. Are we subhuman? Yes, we oh, are. Okay. We are not okay. up to we, standards. We know why we're scum. Okay? No, yeah, I, you know, all we can see is scum compared to 2010. I I understand, but and you know why I hate that 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 talking point. I know you're making it tongue in cheek. I know you don't actually believe that, mm. but you know why I hate that talking point. Like, and it comes up a lot in the NBA debates, but we're not going to get into any of that. You're not giving those guys the benefits of modern. Like if those guys played today, they would have all the modern amenities. They would have all the modern training. Mm-hmm. They would have, you know what I mean? Like they would still be as good in the, the, as good as they were in their era. They'd still be that good today because they would get all the benefits of what players have now. Yeah. Like, that's the thing that I hate. Like we talk about some of these guys and you look back on their careers, like Gail Sayers is considered one of the all time great running backs in NFL history, played six seasons in the NFL and a knee injury. Now that keeps Joe for eight months cost him his career. So I, again, I know what you were saying was, was, was meant as a joke, but I do think that there needs to be like, people do make that comment and do make those like, mm-hmm. Oh, like Michael Jordan played against carpenters and plumbers. And it's like, no dude, he played against magic Johnson and Larry bird and Isaiah Thomas, mm-hmm. and Charles Barkley. Mm-hmm. And, some of the 50 to 75 greatest, and in Bird, Matt Johnson's case, some, some of the 10 greatest players that ever played. Like, I just wish we, I wish we would talk about the merits of the guys that played instead of trying to always Downplay break down. Them. Like, let's talk about the positives of why this guy is good versus the negatives of why that guy was quote unquote bad. Because right. there are great players in every era just because they, like, I, 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 again, a lot of this revolves around basketball because that LeBron Jordan debate is so friggin' toxic people were talking down about bob Co- oh, bob Cousy couldn't dribble with his left hand okay he couldn't in 1955 but you're telling me if bob Cousy was planted in 2023 he wouldn't have the same like to me great players are great players regardless of the era we can only judge them against the guys they played against or and again like i said and to get it back to the cfl and my my comment about mike pringle I won't judge him against your Normie Kwongs or your George. I didn't see those guys play. I've only seen highlights. It's not fair of me to say, oh, Mike Pringle's better than them. But I, what I can say is of the guys I've seen play, that position in this league, no one did it as well as Mike Pringle. Case yeah, I'm totally, I'm totally with you there. Mike Pringle's the man and always will be the man in my eyes <clears throat> when it comes to the running back position. No one has surpassed him uh, yet, and uh, I don't expect it to happen anytime soon. No, I don't think so either, just because of the way the game's played. I don't think will John Cornish maybe had he played longer could have had a, the possibility maybe. of of reaching those heights, but he just didn't play like Mike Mike Pringle did it for over a decade at at like even when he retired in Edmonton, I still think he was over a thousand yards and, and a very effective running back, even though he was like in his mid thirties, which is unheard of for a running back to still be at the at the height of his game. 
I just don't think because the way the games changed so much, become so passing centric. So, I mean, it was always quarterback centric, but I think it's even more so now scheme centric, maybe like coaches, I think have more of an impact on the way yeah. the game goes. They, now they that do more they, of the, uh, you know, the short, yes. uh, intermediate passes one to five yards instead yeah. of handing off the ball as much. Like, and here's the thing, like, I don't know how good Mike Pringle was as a pass protector. I'm sure he was good. You don't play in this league that long without, but he was a ball carrier first and foremost. Like, do you remember all those years yeah. ago, Corey Boyd was with the Argos, led the league in rushing mm-hmm. and they cut him because his pass protection wasn't good enough. Like, I, I think coaches nowadays get too, not involved. Cause I don't think that's the right word, but you know what I mean? Like, I think that they, they focus on like the, this is not going to go into an analytics rant, but like the, oh, the, the minutia of the game, I guess. And it's like, well, he doesn't do this, but it's like, does he run the ball effectively? Does he pick up five to six yards to carry? I don't care what else he, I need him to be a running back. I want him to run the ball and score touchdowns. If he does that well, I'll worry about the rest. I'll bring in someone else in pass pro to, to, I'll bring in my, I'll bring in my 235 pound fullback to be the guy who blocks for the quarterback. You know what I mean? Like just run the ball. Don't fumble and score touchdowns. That's what I needed on my running back. Mike Pringle did it better than anyone I've ever seen. Yeah, absolutely. I just think that, you know, running backs have to be three-dimensional. They have to yeah. be able to catch the ball now. They have to be able to run the ball, and they have to be able to pass protect. And sometimes if you have a really good running back who can just run the ball really well, that's okay. You know what I mean? But uh, coaches obviously want the all-around running back now. All right. That was a really fun discussion, i got to be honest with you. I didn't know we'd go to the places mm-hmm. we went, but I'm glad we I'm glad we did that because it gave us a chance to – maybe it gave me a chance to get a little something off my chest. But anyway, it's time to play our game, and this week we're going to play – one correct answer. We have played this game before under multiple different names. And quite honestly, I didn't like any of the previous titles. So we're just kind of workshopping names here to see what fits. We're going with one correct answer for now. But if I'm being honest, this title could change again in the future. Who the hell knows? Basically, we have a question with three possible answers. And Mike, you and I will give the one that we think is the correct one. Are you ready to play the game? I am. All right. The CFL and TSN released its annual list of the top 50 CFL players last Tuesday. Unsurprisingly, Winnipeg quarterback Zach Caleros topped the list for the second year in a row. And I don't really think anyone can find fault with that. He is, after all, the reigning two-time most outstanding player. But there are always disagreements with these lists like this, usually revolving around the players who did not make the cut. And this year's list is no different. A couple of notable names who did not make the top 50 this year were Ticats defensive lineman Dylan Wynn and reigning Grey Cup MVP and most valuable Canadian Enoch Mwamba. So, Mike, the biggest omission from the top 50 list was A, Dylan Wynn, B, Enoch Mwamba, C, someone else. I hate to do this, but I got to go with Mwamba. You know, he's he's had such a big game in the Grey Cup. He was the MOP and the most outstanding Canadian player I just can't see how he wouldn't be in the top 50. Now, I could say the same thing for Dylan Wynn. He is a top 50 player. There's no doubt about it in my mind. He's one of the best interior defensive linemen in this league. Maybe because he was injured last year, that had something to do with it. I would have in mind, absolutely. Yeah, but it's in my mind, it's still not an excuse because he, he, he still is one of the top 50 players. But I'm going to have to go with Mwamba just because of how big of a great cup game he had and, you know, winning those two awards, it's, it's still pretty fresh, you know, leading into the season. And I, I, I can't understand how he wasn't in the top 50. Argos fans. If you're listening, sit down. I think most people listening will think I'm going to go with win, but for me, I'm with you. It's Enoch Mwamba. He's the reigning great cup MVP and top Canadian for Christ's sakes. How is he not deemed one of the league's 50 best players? 
maybe he's fallen off some. I understand that. The Argos made the trade to get Jordan Williams. I get it. They're looking for the post Mwamba era. Maybe he's not the player he used to be. I get all that. But I just abjectly refuse to believe that a guy who in before this week, because this this list came out before the season started. So in the last game we saw before this list was compiled, he was named the best player in that game. How does not that does that not merit inclusion in a top 50 list? Could you imagine if the, the NFL every year puts out a top 100 players list as voted by the players? This is voted by the media, not the players. Could you imagine if the guy who won MVP in the Super Bowl, like Nick Foles won MVP in the Super Bowl, and he was probably, I, I, I should have looked this up, but I'm fairly certain Nick Foles, who is a fine backup player, I think he's actually out of the league now, but he was on the top 100 players list because you don't win Super Bowl MVP and not get that. He was the Grey Cup MVP. The last game we watched before we saw this game, the members of the media voted him the best player, the most valuable player in that game. And now you're yeah. telling me he's not one of the top 50 players in the league? That is insane to me. And, and a Canadian, insane. A Canadian to, for a Canadian to win that award as well, I mean, that doesn't happen very often. The, twice. The MVP it's happened the twice. Cup. Twice. Yeah. Andrew Harris so, and him. That's it. Two times. That's the it, list. It's just, it's just crazy to me. How could they miss not having him in the top 50? Like, it's just a head scratcher, man. A big time head scratcher. It's completely baffling. And I understand like the way that they compile these lists, the voters get 40 positions and you have to, you get 40 slots. You have to do this, that, and the other, but for there not to be enough people to, to have at least slid Muamba in to the last linebacking spot they wanted to use. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just don't understand how, how you can, how you can mess this up. We talked about Dylan, like you talked about Dylan Wynn slightly, like, Shouldn't you as a voter be going through every team's roster and writing down their like this? Cause this is what I would do. Cause this is what I do as an awards voter is I look at the tie cats roster. I look at stats. I talk to some people. I, I use my opinion, but I also talk to some people in the know that maybe know a little bit more than I do. But what I start with is a list of the roster and I go down, okay, who's the, and they, the, the CFL sends out like, these are the guys eligible. So it makes it a little bit easier, but that, I, how do you go down the roster and be like any, well, okay, I'm doing defensive linemen. Okay. I got Mike Rose. I understand that. I got Willie Jefferson. I got, you know, I got Jake Serezna. You don't get to Dylan Wynn and go, no, he's off. Like, no, he's on that list. And, but the reason I said Mwamba and the same reason you was getting kind of fired about this is because of what he did in the last game of the season last year. Like, I just don't understand how he, he, he was not included, not because he was an afterthought, but because people just don't think he's one of the 50 best players. When some of those people voted him as the best player in the Grey Cup, mm. it just makes absolutely no sense to me. I, I don't get it. I'll I'll never get it. Hopefully someone out there who voted on this will will listen and will give us a reason why they don't why they, they didn't include him. Cause it just makes absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. All right, moving on. The CFL announced last week that they had partnered up with Pro Football Focus to provide new tools for player analysis that will be available to everyone from coaches to media to fans. PFF was launched in 2007 and claims to have the world's most comprehensive football database. PFF grades are even part of the introduction. If you watch NFL Sunday Night Football games, you'll see the there are seventh of seven out of 125. It's 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 there. PFF has been gradually over time more utilized in the in the pro football space i think this is a good thing for the cfl but we gotta ask the question mike cfl partnering up with pro football focus is great for the league good for the league doesn't matter in the slightest i think it's great for the league 
Pro Football Focus is a very established platform. It's it's like you said, the NFL takes it seriously. The, the player introductions, the grades are up there, all that stuff. So I think I think it's great. It's more data that we can dive into if we get a hold of the, the data. You know, that's a different. We'll talk about um, that in a tale. second. We'll talk about that in a second. But uh, overall, I think it's great for the league. It helps us out when we're doing a show to look into the stats and all that stuff, the grades uh, of individual players. Uh, I love it, and I can't get, I can't wait to get into it. I'm with you. Great for the league. I think anything that can make the fans and media members more knowledgeable is only a good thing. I don't know if you saw they they had a couple of articles before. Like when this was announced, there were two articles put up. I think it was preseason preseason all-star team now there was some like they had alex fontana as a second team all-star center which is that's a little bit questionable and the thing is with pff it's not a be-all end-all i think people need to know that it's it's part of an evaluation it's part of the tools we can use to to dive in pardon me to dive into this stuff more thoroughly but they also had a list of like ranking the players i think it was the quarterbacks they ranked and they had jake mayer as the ninth best quarterback after last year and you and I did our quarterback pyramid over the offseason, and we both had Mayer in like the top, I think it was the top six, maybe even the top four of the league. And then it's, so I see that great, and I was like, well, that's, that's kind of interesting. And then you watched him play on, on Thursday, and you're like, oh, maybe that ranking wasn't as far off as, as I initially would have thought. He looked, he looked bad, eh? He looked, he looked terrible. He looked bad, didn't he? He looked, wow. he looked, he looked, he was, he was easily the worst quarterback that we saw play this week, in my opinion. I, uh, him and Taylor, the two Alberta quarterbacks did not do themselves much favors. Very disappointing. I'm very disappointed in Cornelius' performance. I, yeah. yeah you made me not, look like a fool, corndog. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah, not good, not good. But I think this will just be, it'll be better for us on this show, all the other shows we're going to be doing. You know what I mean? I I think everyone as a whole will benefit from this. So, yeah, with you, great for the league. However, you mentioned getting the information. It's not all positive on the statistical front, as the CFL put out a press release ahead of Thursday's opener, basically saying that their fancy new stat system that they've been touting for a year now will not be available as of yet. Many fans took to social media to rip the league for not being ready. So, Mike... This new stat system powered by Genius Sports not being ready for the start of the season is A, a disaster, B, typical of the CFL, C, a whole lot of nothing. I'm going to go with it's typical of the CFL. You know, they hype up something and then they don't deliver when it's time to deliver. It's very unfortunate. How could you not have this ready for the start of the season? I mean, that would be the number one goal, would it not? Hey, guys, our season is coming up. We have this great new data package. How about we have it ready for the first week of the regular season? But no, they don't. Of course they don't. And it, it's just very disappointing. I'm I'm with you, man. It is all too typical of the CFL. That's my answer as well. This not being ready is ridiculous. They even say in the press release, if you read it, when they announced the delay, they've been working on this for over a year. How is it not ready? How do you need to... Could you imagine going into your your boss's office and saying they gave you a project and you say, okay, no problem. And a year later, a year later, when you already have an infrastructure in place, you're just kind of tweaking things. Like I don't buy the league's things like, oh, we started this from scratch. There's no – and even if you did, you start something from scratch, something like this should not take over a year to accomplish. But that's not even the biggest fault about all this because if you go to the league's website right now, they have scrubbed all the stats from the site. You cannot find anything for any player. 
which is a real pain in the ass when you're trying to research for something like say mm-hmm. a podcast or right. looking up stats for an article, like, or you're just a fan who's like, man, how many interceptions did Dane Evans throw last year? Or how many fumbles did Bo Levi Mitchell have? Be- you know what I mean? Like you want to be able to have that information. It is 2023. We should have that information. If look, if they wanted to roll this thing up, but it wasn't ready, then leave everything else up. Just keep it the same and be like, we're rolling with this right now. We don't, we, we just, we haven't, we still need more time to make this new one come out. But here, you still have everything that you could possibly need. Instead, right now we are flying in the dark here. You know what I mean? Like, we don't know what, like, we know nothing. Live game stats don't work. Like, look, if I wanted to be mean, I would have said that this is a disaster. But I, Honestly, this isn't something anyone will care about once the new system is actually rolled up, if it is as good as they say it will be. But to me, this is just typical of the CFL. You make these grand statements, you make these hoopla and all that, and then you biff the whole thing, drop the ball. Like, yeah, fart sounds. Like, that's just like, is, it, is, is this league, no matter who's in charge, no matter who's running things, are they just destined to always do stuff like this? Because we can go back in the past and it's, it's, Time and time again, we see them be like, we're doing this. And then, like you just did, fart noise. I think it is. I just can't. We've seen it over and over and over and over again. I just, I can't be fooled anymore. It's like, if they do something good, great. But I'm not going to be expecting anything from this league. Because they just, like you said, I think they're cursed. Like, they're trying to do good things. They're trying to update, you know, trying to be in 2023. And it's just not working out. So hopefully they figure this out quickly because it's, you know, we're going into week two here. Hopefully they figure it out and uh, we won't have to talk about it anymore. Yeah, I'm done listening to the hype. I'm done believing the hype. I'll believe these things. Now, the CFL can make as many grand proclamations as they want. It's the same thing with the expansion, right? Yep. You know, keep hearing about it. Yeah, I saw it on Twitter today. Randy Ambrosi talking about Atlantic Canada. Great. Make it happen. Okay, yep. just make it happen. Enough talk. We need some action. All right. The other thing that got torn to shreds by fans over the past week was the CFL's new designated nationalized American rule. This is the rule that was introduced in the latest CBA where an American player with either a five years of CFL service or B three years of service with one team can sub in for a Canadian. Initially, the rule was that that American player could play 49% of a team snaps in place of a Canadian, but they changed it to 23 snaps in a game. So, of course, teams immediately found a way to twist the rule to their advantage. For instance, Duke Williams was listed as a backup for the Ticats on Friday, and Kadeem Carey, who led the league in rushing yards last year, was technically the backup running back for the Stampeders on Thursday. Neither of those players are actually backups, and they were only listed as such so the Ticats and Stamps could manipulate the roster. The purpose of this rule, when it was announced, was that it was intended to keep older American players with their team. Roster continuity has been a major talking point, both from the media and fans. And the league brought this new rule in to try to kind of to try, oh, pardon me, to try to address those concerns. What the tie cats and stamps did is not in the spirit of the rule, even if it is within the letter of it. So, Mike, this new designated nationalized American rule is a dumb, b really dumb, c the dumbest thing the league has ever done. Uh, I'm going to go with in the middle there, really dumb, but it doesn't bother me because. That's not my concern. I don't have to worry about how many snaps, you know, Duke Williams played, if he played 23 or whatever. That's a coaching staff. That's a CFL concern. As a fan, I don't give a crap. I'm not paying attention to that. I know Duke Williams is a starting receiver in this league on this team. If they want to start someone on the first snap or the first drive, whatever, 
Um, <clears throat> so don't get me wrong. I think the idea is stupid. And I think, you know, it's going to be really difficult to keep track of all that stuff. But that's a th- them problem. That's not a me problem. I couldn't care less. So it doesn't really bother me. That's actually a pretty good answer. I never really thought of it in that. I, too, picked really dumb. It's not the dumbest. And I think you'll agree with me on this. It can't be the dumbest so long as teams are still getting a loser point for booting the ball to the back of the end zone. <laughs> but this is still really dumb. Like, and maybe more than dumb, I think it's needlessly complicated. But you make a good point in that it's not our thing to worry about. The one thing, though, is with the whole gambling stuff, like you see someone like maybe this will work out in our favor. You you know, Kadeem Carey's listed as a backup. And all of a sudden the gambling site's like, oh, his over under rushing totals are going to be twenty five right. and a half yards versus sixty five <laughs> and a half yards. The intent of the rule, though, I do think is a good one. Just the execution has gone about. I mean, honestly, the execution went about as you would expect. If a coach can find a way to manipulate something to his team's benefit, he will do that. I don't blame Orlando Steinauer or Dave Dickinson for doing what they did. I blame the league for being too vague with the rule, which allowed it to happen. But I do actually kind of like your point that it's we know as fans. And look, we can look at the at what you might call it, the uh, the depth charts. Casual fans aren't looking at depth charts. They don't care no. who's starting. They're not going to know when they're watching the games, right? Like, they're not going to tell not the difference. At all. Not at all. That, like you said, I think it's you're, – you're kind of stunning me speechless because I think that was such a good point you made. It's not really a fan concern. It's a team concern. It, it's not a me problem. It's a them problem, and I think that's a really good way to look at it. So I I, mean, I came in as all piss and vinegar, but you kind of uh, kind of swayed me a little <laughs> bit where I, just, I don't care anymore now. Well done. All right, let's end this on a, or at least try to end this on a positive note. We had three non-Ticats games in week one. BC at Calgary, Ottawa at Montreal, and Saskatchewan at Edmonton. Each was varying degrees of entertaining, and we will eliminate Hamilton's game from this so as not to be biased. But Mike, the best non-Ticats CFL game from week one was A, Lions and Stamps, B, Red Blacks and Owlettes, C, Riders and Elks. Now, none of them them were really... Uh, over the top entertaining for me, but I, I wasn't bored watching any of these games. So I, I'm going to have to go with the BC Calgary one though. Uh, I found it very entertaining to see Vernon Adams play so well in that first half and see, you know, what this BC offense can do without Nathan Rourke. And I, I was pretty impressed. Now they didn't sustain that over the whole game, but I, I was entertained by this game uh, by BC's offense. And also by the fact that Calgary just looked terrible and that amused me very much. So like you, like I didn't think any of the games were really great, but I went with BC and Calgary as well. You mentioned the Lions offense with Vernon Adams was at least entertaining. And seeing the Stampeders struggle after so many years of running roughshod over everyone was kind of nice to see. The other two games were, I don't want to say boring, but they weren't, they didn't, they didn't light the world on fire. Like Ottawa Montreal had very little in the way of interest. I think the third play of the game for Jardo bomb one, two, I want to say his name's Austin Mack. He's the rookie receiver from Ohio. State. Yeah. But other than that, not much happened in that game other than watching for get planted into the, the turf a, a bazillion times. The Riders Elks game had the big Geno catch, which was really entertaining. The goal line stand near the end there was, was pretty good, but again, not a lot of, not a lot of anything else. Not, not a lot of high offense in, in those games either. So almost by default, my answer was Thursday's opener, which I almost didn't get to see because my power went out a couple of hours before kickoff because of what the electricity company, company called animal contact. So some squirrel or bird or something 
almost cost me a chance to see the first game of the season, which would have pissed me off. Luckily, I have unlimited data on my phone, could use it as a hotspot to watch the game. So I watched the game on my iPad, but I did so in the dark. Like, it was pitch black. I was like some 14th century friar living in the English countryside, watching on this tiny-ass screen instead of my giant TV in my living room. But I can't complain. I still got to watch the game. And, yes, with you, the second half, it wasn't sustained. But watching BC operate, like, Vernon Adams went, like, 9 for 9 to start the game after going perfect in the preseason. Uh, Taquan Mazel was running – the rookie running back for BC was running all over the place. He looks like a guy that could be – Rookie of the year this year. Dominique Grimes had a couple of nice touchdown catches. I just found that game to be, of the games played this week, that the Ticats were involved in, to be the most interesting. So we're, we're in agreement on that. Okay, game preview time, Mike. And this week is a doozy. The Ticats travel up the QEW to take on their arch rival Toronto Argonauts. The Ticats are obviously coming off their season opening loss to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. For our thoughts on that game, I'll say it again. Go check out our It's Live Pal postgame show from Friday. It's up wherever you get your podcasts. The Argos are a well-rested team as they had their bye week in week one, so we do not know what to expect from them, especially after they made some changes in the offseason, most notably at quarterback with Chad Kelly. It's also in, look, as a Ticat fan, it bothers me, but as someone who loves when people needle other people, I think this is tremendous. It's the Argos banner raising ceremony for their Grey Cup championship. They're doing it against the Ticats with a crowd that will have a lot of Ticats fans in it. They're giving away replica Grey Cup rings. I think I think it's awesome that they're doing this. Like the the a-hole in me really, really enjoys this. But this is gonna be this is what we think or could be the battle for first place in the division this year. So, Mike, what do you think the Ticats need to do against the single blue to avoid falling to 0-2? They need to bring the pressure. <clears throat> Excuse me. You know, Chad Kelly's uh, basically not a rookie, but he's a very young quarterback. He, he's getting the starting reins this year for the Toronto Argonauts. We need to make him uncomfortable in this season opener for the Argonauts. Get after him. Uh, you know, the young quarterbacks usually don't handle the pressure as much. Send the blitz, man. Send the blitz after this guy and get him uncomfortable. The second thing, I think we need to protect Bo, <clears throat> obviously. Give him more time. I know they gave up three sacks last last game. I don't necessarily, you know, put all the blame on the offensive line for all of those sacks. But, you know, you don't want Bo on the ground. Like, three is too much for me. One is too much for me. Um, I know they're not going to be perfect, but let's open some holes for James Butler. Let's protect Bo. Give him time to go through his progressions, and we'll be okay. And uh, I think with the D-line playing better, getting pressure on Chad Kelly, it's going to benefit the defensive backfield. So I'm I'm expecting a big game from the D-line, which will help the defensive backfield. And then I'm expecting an offense for them to protect Bo and open up holes for the run game. All good points from you. Limit turnovers. Stop turning the damn ball over. They did it too much against Winnipeg. We know they did it way too much last year. You brought a guy like Bo in so that he wouldn't throw boneheaded interceptions like he did or fumble the ball like he did. So you got to limit those turnovers. I think that's a great way to, to start this this game off well. Just don't give up field position on turnovers. Just do not give the ball over. Another thing, I, I, they got to take those shots, those deep shots, and connect on them when the opportunity arises. Yeah. They They were ineffective on them against Winnipeg, but I like the idea of them taking those deep shots. Get those chunk plays. Sustaining drives of 10, 12, 14 plays in the CFL is difficult with only two downs to get those 10 yards. 
picking up a big 40 yards on a play can work, can be effective. That's what this offense wants to do. Do more of it. Be physical. Batter them along the trenches. Let James Butler run the ball. I thought they did a really good job with, with the exception of his, of his one actual fumble and his second almost fumble. I thought James Butler did a really good job in the run game. I thought the offensive line did a really good job in the run game. Continue that in this one. Let James Butler do his thing. But along the lines, just beat them up. You mentioned the defensive line. Get after Chad Kelly. Plant him in the turf. Let him know that he's not in college anymore, that this isn't some stepping stone to the National Football League, that he's in a real league with real players that can kick his ass. Get in his face. Get him out of rhythm. Do those things that you, you have to do to any – Do the th- basically use the game plan used against McLeod Bethel-Thompson because I think if you, if you punch Kelly in the mouth, he's going to wilt. So do that, and I think this team could be successful on Sunday night. All right, so before we sign off, just a quick reminder to everyone out there that maybe doesn't know already, we've opened up a Patreon page, so come over and join us over there. we got a ton of bonus content for you to consume. My first episode of What's Happened in Tigertown came out on Friday discussing the team's depth chart and what it meant. Our first weekly gambling show uh, came out. There. We, we posted that on our podcast feed, but going forward, it's going to be on our Patreon page. That will be out every week on the morning of the first game of that week. Some weeks it'll be Thursday morning, other weeks it'll be Friday morning, maybe some Saturdays in there, depending on what the schedule says. Personally, I think I should have two episodes of what's happened in Tigertown available for our subscribers this week, most likely on Wednesday and Friday after days two and four of Ticats practice this week. Shortly, we will record our first mailbag episode. We have a ton of other stuff planned. Our top tier to join, which gives you access to everything we pull out, put out is just nine bucks a month. In my opinion, I think you get you will get more than enough value for your money there. So come on, join us over at Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Podski Wee I don't think they'll regret it, Mike, don't you? No, not at all. And my first Podski Wawa episode will be out tomorrow. I am recording shortly after we're done here. So I hope you guys enjoy that as well. That's great. So we record, we're recording this show on Monday. Mike's going to record his show tonight. It's going to be out on, on Tuesday on Patreon. What can they expect from that show in case they haven't heard you talk about it before? Well, I got a couple segments where I'm talking uh, the Tie Cats meter of doom or scale of doom. Uh, just basically how I'm feeling about the Tie Cats right now, where your panic is at. We gave uh, we gave him kind of uh, a, a, we gave him, sorry to cut you off. We gave him kind of a small taste of that today when we talked about our confidence in the team. So that yes, you'll get that. But it'll be Mike's condensed version, his his unfiltered thoughts on that. What else can they expect? Well, I got O line power rankings. I'm going to rank each offensive line. From each team. Now, there will only be eight this week, obviously, since Toronto wasn't involved, but I'll have those. of a Potsky player profile, which I, I, I'm i uh, profiling Darren Flutie in the first episode, one of my all-time favorite tie cats. Uh, I'll have a segment called Mikey Likes It, which I'll talk about something that I like from the CFL, whether it be the, the, the previous week or just as a whole. And, uh, yeah, I think that's a, about it. Um I think I might have another segment in there that I'm forgetting right now. Well, but, you know what? Let's, let's leave them wanting more. Let's leave them wanting more. Let's, yes. If you want to listen to what Mike's got to say, come on, join us over at Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Podski Wee You'll get Podski Wawa, which will be a great companion piece of this show. You'll get my weekly insights a couple times a week on what's going on with the Tiger Cats here in Hamilton. Gambling show, a bunch of other stuff we got planned throughout the, the season and throughout the year to keep you guys all entertained. Like I said, just $9 a month to join our top tier I, I think it's value for your dollar. I don't think you'll go you'll sign up anywhere else and get as much value as you'll get from us over at Patreon. So come join us there. I don't think you'll regret it. But that was Podski Weaver for this week, and I'm Josh Smith. 
And I'm Mike Graham. Eat them raw. Eat them raw.